Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. What does the future hold for St. Louis and how do we get there? This is Nothing Impossible on KMOX. Welcome into Nothing Impossible. Michael and Travis with you talking about St. Louis innovators, entrepreneurs, the folks who are on the vanguard of what's next in the St. Louis metro. Yeah, and you know what I, yeah, our show talks a lot about what's happening at the local scene, but there are times that what's happening locally also has implications globally. Definitely. Last week, just uh, seven days ago, we talked about what's happening in Ukraine and how we know what's happening in Ukraine because of satellite images that have been taken by private firms that have been shared with uh, agencies like the National Geospatial Intelligence Agency right here in St. Louis. Uh, many of those companies with St. Louis presences now. And so, and also that technology is leading to advances from St. Louis companies that are impacting our day-to-day lives with consumer products. And so we're going to get the lay of the land from Andy Deering with Geo Futures. Speaking of, you know, day-to-day lives, remember when the day-to-day life of a, a young teen in the St. Louis region was going to the mall? Uh, that's not so day-to-day anymore. And these malls need to find new life. And, and you had a chance to check in with the folks to, to see what's going on out at the Chesterfield Mall. Can't wait to hear about that and how they're looking at repurposing that uh, that physical real estate into something else. Yeah, the Steinberg Group, a local firm, has taken it over. We're going to find out what their plans are, not just you know in the next couple of years, but they want to build a, a downtown Chesterfield is what they're dubbing uh, their eventual plans for the site. And you know, I, I grew up right by Chesterfield Mall. I worked at a store, I won't name it, inside the mall <laughs> during part of high school, folding clothes. And so I'm really interested to see what's going to happen to this space. Uh, that that uh, that just means that your your closet and drawers at home are perfectly folded all the time. Is that no. right, Michael? No, they're not. Not at all. No, <laughs> I did too much of it then. I'm sick of it. <laughs> uh, well, we're going to wrap up this show uh, again, keeping it local with a a local uh, company here, Schnooks. We've pro- you've probably heard of them. You've definitely shopped there. Uh, Schnooks helping to support early stage food companies. This is a, we're going to talk about a company out of Cincinnati. That's getting their foothold in St. Louis, not just through Schnooks as a customer, but also Schnooks as a mentor. Yeah, there's a pretty big grocer in the Cincinnati area, from what I hear. And yet this food startup in that city found their their biggest, their first customer, a mentor, really, when it comes to building a business. They found it in St. Louis. 
That's uh, it's the that's the Midwest hospitality and charm. So uh, we have a lot to cover. Stick around. We'll be right back with more Nothing Impossible right after this. Now back to Nothing Impossible on the Voice of St. Louis KMOX. All right. Well, malls they are a changing. Uh, I don't know the last time I was at a mall, but we've seen malls be, get repurposed for art. We've seen them get repurposed as you know major food hubs. Uh, but what about entrepreneurship? Uh, Michael, you had a chance to check in with the folks at the Chesterfield Mall to hear about their vision for maybe new life in that space. So let's find out exactly what's happening from Tim Lowe with the Steinberg Group. Before we get into the the offer that's that's been put out there, what is the status of Chesterfield Mall, uh, both the, the number of tenants that are in there now and uh, the, the grand plans uh, going forward? Where do things stand? So the grand plans for Chesterfield Mall are to redevelop the mall into downtown Chesterfield, which is a high-end, mixed-use, urban downtown development that will include both residential and office, as well as some retail and restaurants, in a really cool kind of urban downtown setting. That process is ongoing. Um, you know, ultimately, we have to go through an entitlement and a reasonable process with the municipality, and we are in the process of doing that right now. You know, projects of this size take some time. And they take some effort, but we're in the process of moving that project forward. And in terms of the mall right now, uh, you know, what's occupied, what's not? Uh, do you have a, a loose percentage-wise about occupancy? And then what is this offer for the building as it stands at least now? Yeah, so I don't know so much about occupancy. I, I think what the opportunity is is that ultimately projects like this take some time to, to put together. And we had a choice to make at the very beginning. Do we just go ahead and tear the whole mall down and we leave it open and try to you know, benefit with some of the life that's left in the mall. We chose to leave it open. So over the last year, we've been working on a program to provide, you know, incubation opportunities to, you know, small tenants and, you know, retailers, operators, storage people, you know, people who want to test the market, need some space on a short-term basis. And since we've got, you know, two or three years before we actually start tearing the buildings down to develop downtown Chesterfield, we elected to try to reuse the mall for, for a good purpose. And that's see if we can, you know, create opportunities for entrepreneurs and people like that who want to come in and want to operate in the mall on a short-term, low-cost basis. And we've been doing it for about a year. And we're, you know, again, it's not about occupancy, but I think if you go in and you look at, you know, the parts, we have a section for people who need public interaction. And we've got a couple of sections that are closed off that are people who don't, like storage people and manufacturing facilities and things like that. So this is really just an opportunity to make that this opportunity a little bit more well known, and that's why we're having the the you know the presentation tomorrow, which is to invite you know agencies that deal with entrepreneurs and small businesses and small businesses to come in just to hear about the opportunity, see what the mall looks like, see what the opportunities are, and really just try to expand our reach and finding you know these these you know small tenants who might like to operate out of Chester Mall for a short time period to you know incubate their business. People's frame of reference, uh, or they may hear this and go, that sounds like what uh, uh, Crestwood Mall did during their interim period uh, before it was demolished, uh, bringing in, seemed like that was a lot of uh, arts organizations, and and this seems more entrepreneurs, um, but can you elaborate more on how this may differ from what people are familiar with in that situation? It's not that much different. I mean, it's the same philosophy, which is, you know, why you have the, the physical plan of the mall itself trying to create, you know, a higher and better use that gives people who otherwise wouldn't have access to a property like this the ability to access it and use it. And Chesterfield Mall did something very similar, though theirs was more focused on art and art programs. 
Um, you know, ours isn't that much different. I mean, we have some galleries in there that have art showcase art, you know, provide opportunities for local artists. We also have, you know, real estate offices and we have you know, retail stores. We have pickleball and center court. So we're just being more eclectic as far as, you know, creating a more diverse opportunity set and letting people like that come in and be able to try to, you know, use the ball while it has some useful life left. Sounds exciting. Well, we have uh, more exciting content and discussion. Stick around for more Nothing Impossible right after this. St. Louis Innovation with Michael and Travis. Nothing Impossible on KMOX. All right, welcome back. We uh, we talked about geospatial quite a bit on this show because there's a big investment being made in the region. It is something that we're getting a lot of uh, authentic traction around. And and Michael, last week we talked a little bit about the events in Ukraine and movements of, of Russian troops and how geospatial technology is allowing us to know what's going on around the globe. Uh, we're, we're, we're joined today again by Andy Deering from GeoFutures. We're going to start with the global perspective and then bring it local. Uh, Andy, thanks for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having me. Let's think about what's going on in Ukraine first. Uh, you know, what, how, is, how is geospatial technology uh, at play there allowing us to know what's going on with troop movement? Yeah, it's a great question. I, the, the thing I ask about geospatial technology and, and geospatial, I, I know we, I think the previous times I've been on, you know, it's how do we define geospatial and, and uh, make drive understanding of what's going on? And I think this is a great example of um, how geospatial technologies, um, automation, you know, sensors are all helping us make sense or helping bring some certain things to light. So, you know, specifically with Ukraine and even, you know, the, one of the more recent headlines about, you know, 7,000 troops, you know, Russia, Russia basically said, hey, yeah, we're moving troops from the line. Well, guess what? There's satellites that are going overhead and they're at, you know, there's a multitude of them going overhead, taking pictures of the earth and, and actually validating what's happening. And so it creates almost a level of deeper transparency um, to where we they were able to quickly realize within, you know, 24 hours, wait, that actually wasn't the case. And oh, by the way, here's actually where the troops have been moving. They're actually moving closer to the line or there's more troops that are moving and so, you know, th- think about that, you know, in the ecosystem, you have um, companies that, you know, are launching satellite that are building sensors um, to take pictures. And some of them are doing those at, you know, different image resolutions to be able to say, oh, that's a tank on the ground or in general, I'm seeing some movement of things happening. And there's a lot of them that are up there that are helping detect that, that, you know, not only, you know, the, the large organizations like NGA here in town are being able to tap into, but even a lot of um, you know, humanitarian organizations and others are trying to look at that and, and get a better picture of what's going on. So really the pictures are not lying and what's happening. And, and actually, you know, organizations like Planet Labs, you know, they have many satellites up there to where they can continue to orbit, you know, multiple times a day over a specific area to actually give you a better picture. You know, we're not quite there to have a camera there overhead all the time, but those pictures and those snapshots and being able to detect what's happening um, today is, is far better, you know, than it was, you know, 20, 30, 50 years ago from when, you know, other conflicts had happened like that. Yeah, we were talking last week about how remarkable it is that they can say there are X number of tents, or not only do we know they've set up, you know, infrastructure, they've moved this mass of equipment, but they're setting up field hospitals. Like the, the level of detail seems to be pretty remarkable. Well, and, you know, you heard it um, many years back, you know, when when Director Robert Cardillo at NGA said, hey, we've got, you know, we've got some exquisite technologies that are helping us, you know, detect things that are going on. 
we don't have enough human eyeballs to be able to monitor all the information that's coming in. So I, you know, from a technology standpoint, this is where you see the inter introduction or the, the intersection of modern IT sorts of things directly impacting geospatial is how do we use things like machine learning algorithms to say, okay, I know what a tent, for example, or a, a field hospital looks like at these different types of, you know, resolutions. Now go and send that across, you know, petabytes of information and say, tell me what that, you know, tell me where those are things are popping up or tell me how, you know, where things are moving. You know, a tank was here one day, but now it's over here another day. But and the signature on that is the same. Humans have been able to do that for many years and they are especially trained in that. Now those humans are working with computer programmers to say, here's what a tank looks like at different angles and different heights. And oh, by the and now let's send a computer to help sift through all this imagery coming in to help us really and truly detect what's going on and do it at a velocity far greater than what it was, you know, 20 years ago. Yeah, it's amazing to think about how that technology has advanced in just 20, 30 years, uh, where it used to be a spy plane, you know, flying overhead, yep. shooting some Im images, trying to get those back to a human to evaluate the images. Uh, I mean, this Hold is, on, we got to get those said, developed oh, first before we can get them back. <laughs> you, have, you have to go to the photo mart uh, in, the, in the parking lot to get that stuff developed. But this, as Andy has said, we're, we're almost at the point of real-time imagery being available uh, to folks. And and so what, you know, what do you think, project out like 10, 15 more years, uh, you know, what does the future look like and how does this technology continue to evolve? Well, I, I think the the industry the, the the opportunity is there's you know people organizations are wanting that real time information on what's going on even the twenty four hour delay of you know hey this the satellite now is doing daily clips now we want an hourly clips or by the minute or real time um, that's that's a huge opportunity I think you think about things like SpaceX right who was like the Uber ride share of all these sensors you, you go the back you know many years. That was always the the challenge is actually getting up into space. Now the challenge is not getting into space. There's many um, Uber rides and things like that that are happening. Now it's getting that image. And, and actually, the other part was um, as you the down transmit of that information used to you know just be a few what they call ground stations where that information would come down into and then be able to connect to the internet. Now you have Amazon that's developed ground stations as a service and they're located everywhere. And so it's, that's not the problem anymore. The problem is going to be being able to make sense of all that information. So it's the modern IT problem of we've got too much information and how do we extract the value or how do we ask questions of this big pile of data that's coming in and get the results that we need to that's, that's truthful. And I think that's where, you know, where 10, 15, 20 years we look out is you're going to see way more uh, applications for data scientists or high-end, you know, you know, architecture people that are focusing in on systems and those sorts of things to be able to analyze that but it's not taking away from you still have to have the scientists that understand the 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 why or here's why you know this is important or here's what troop movements look like in this specific situation or here's what in the agriculture sense what crop health looks like from this type of a, a sensor and so that's where again it's, it's changing to a more it or tech sort of a thing but those same principles apply and, and we're going to become a heck of a lot smarter in that process as well we're talking with Andy Deering, who's the lead for Geo Futures in St. Louis. And, you know, as we were going through the uh, the New York Times account of some of these latest images last week, uh, we pointed out the, the name Maxar Technologies and said, if you listen, 
You've probably heard that before because of their expansion in St. Louis. What are some of the, you know, run through some of the big players in geospatial in the area, maybe names that we'll hear in the midst of this, or maybe names that people should stock away in their minds because they're going to hear in the future. Yeah, that, the, you know, the ecosystem and actually the more of these organizations are coming into town because they want to be a part of what we're, we're building and growing here. But the, the ones that you, you'll see and hear in the news, obviously NGA is a big part of this and you'll either see them or you won't see them, you know, and, and they're bringing together all this information and doing the analysis, but partner, their industry partners and what they're working with. Maxar is obviously a great one. And, you know, prior to that, and if you look on Google Maps, you'll see, you know, Digital Globe or whatever. So Maxar has got a lot of the, they, they're a conglomerate of those that are, you know, have different sensors for weather, or for, for pictures and those sorts of things. And so you'll see them as a centerpiece for most images on CNN to, you know, all the other publications as taking those active shots. But then you have organizations, as mentioned earlier, like Planet Labs, who have a, a slightly lower resolution um, uh sensors and and but they are rapidly they got more of them they got flocks of them that are orbiting and being able to give that that real-time detection of things that are happening and that revisit rates pretty heavily and they're they're located here in in st louis as well but then you take okay it's great that we're collecting all that information but then the you know how do we analyze it or using geospatial tools Obviously, Esri is a big partner here in in the region, with over you know over 100 folks here that are supporting not only the federal government but agriculture, and and their tools are a key centerpiece to be able to do that analysis. You've got Hexagon, uh, U.S. Federal, who's doing a bunch of imagery analysis, and they've got tools and capabilities um, on the tech piece. Then you have the other industry partners, um, and I and I'm there's many of them that are here, but you have organizations like General Dynamics and Booz Allen Hamilton and Lidos and, and others that are around here that are providing human power to help, you know, do that analysis or set up those algorithms or, or to do the work that needs to be done to extract the value out of that, that information that's coming in using tools like Esri Hexagon and then using imagery and data sources like Maxar and Planet. So it's a nice budding ecosystem around there. And the skills that we're building and growing to help support this mission are going to pay dividends down the road as we continue to build out what we have going on here. When we think about, you mentioned a lot of the industry players, whether they're large industry players or, or maybe some that have entered entered into the market to really partner with the NGA. What are we doing within the startup scene? Uh, we just saw recently that, and actually T-Rex has been engaged uh, with, with in this geospatial work for a number of years now, really uh, since the announcement was made. But uh, Andy, give us an idea of how the early stage and startup community is responding to this. Well, there's, you know, the, the opportunities, and I, I always kind of date back, you know, the past 18 months since we released the GeoFutures Roadmap that did cite that, hey, we need to do more around entrepreneurs and startups and providing capacity and you know, capabilities for them. The, the great part is we've had a lot of assets that have been built here, and, I, and you cited T-Rex, and T-Rex, not only do they have their Geospatial Innovation Center, they house the NGA's Moonshot Labs, but they just signed a, you know, a partnership agreement with NGA. And again, those types of agreements, and especially between NGA and a nonprofit like, like uh, T-Rex, um, it's very similar to the MTC agreement, um, Missouri Technology Corporation agreement that was signed to allow for the NGA accelerator that's been in, in play. This, again, is another avenue for, in, for NGA to engage and to promote 
um, whether it be you know startup resources, whether it be programming, whether it be um, even even talent sorts of build up and, and creating talent in support of the NGA mission, but in support of the ecosystem that we have here. And, and T Rex is a key centerpiece of that. And, and not only providing the resources that are capable, but now providing um, you know potentially having having funding that can help provide that or at least coordinate that across the region. Well, speaking of the, you know, the talent pipeline, uh, you mentioned the high school uh, students getting involved with Gateway Global. Are there other ways that, you know, non-traditional talent is being brought into this industry and this sector? Yeah, that's a that's a great. Uh, I, you might have seen it recently in the news, but uh, but rung for women. I always I mean, they're, they're a great example locally. You know, I, I bring the story up is that we put the GeoFutures roadmap out, and really it was a scale strategy. And so, uh, you know, the way that I kind of term it is, we put a, basically a big power strip out there with a lot of receptacles that people can start plugging into. And rung for women was a great example of that. They they saw the opportunity. They obviously had their programming that was already in place. But they saw this opportunity and kept hearing about this geospatial industry. And they partnered up with Maryville University. And they said, hey, you know, we want to do something around geospatial, partnered up with industry partners like T. Carter and Maxar and others that are here locally supporting NGA and said, can we build a geospatial track for our members of that organization? And they did that. We didn't. We had no awareness from the myself and the GeoFutures group. We didn't have any awareness this was going on until they built it, and they were actually, you know, already starting the programming and building and creating opportunities for their members. And then they said, "Hey, we're doing this. You want to let you know?" And, and we promoted it, and we said, "Wow, this is amazing! The impact that you're doing." But then now, fast forward, you know, six months, you know, they had applied for an EDA grant, and and were able to get you know a, a half a million dollars to be able to support and continue on that programming. And, and really making that impact. And that's just one example of many like Launch Code, like Claim Academy, like many other, um, you know, almost that upskilling or, or the non-traditional education pathways that are building up and growing around that, but are also making a significant impact in the neighborhoods where NGA is moving into. Well, and just like, so we talked about how this has had this, you know, application with Ukraine and the national security implications, but just like NASA and Apollo led to consumer products, NGA, geospatial is too. Can you, and this is what we've talked about many times on Nothing Impossible, but can you remind us of some of those applications for this technology that people may encounter more in their day-to-day lives? Well, you know, it, it's actually interesting, um, it, you know, from the Ukraine perspective, and I was, you know, watching, I don't know if it was Good Morning America or whatever on Friday morning, and, and I was, you know, I don't know, exercising or something, right? And I see the headlines coming through with Ukraine, and they have maps and overhead imagery and all this stuff that we're talking about. And then the next article is about Snapchat. And I was like, and it was about location services and, and, and helping on college campuses to protect students, and using location technologies for and enabling that to be able to track and be able to make that more aware and what's going on. And again, you're starting to see more. I, I, I'm just, you know, in, a, in 30 minutes, you're able to see two completely different use cases um, of location technologies. And behind that is partners like um, you see Mapbox locally, and they're one of the geospatial you know, startups that are now, you know, getting ready to go public and other organizations that are building technology capabilities, data, or, um, you know, a platform to where people can understand or answer that question about what where is. But I think as we start seeing, and again, we're, you know, in the midst of climate crisis and other things like that, understanding and where things are happening and why things are happening in those locations, geospatial is, you know, they say Google is the what, 
you know, uh, geospatial is the where of this. And we're able to answer that question with, with a lot of the capabilities that we're building here. And the advancements in technology will only continue to accelerate that going forward and make it, you know, more normalize it for, for you and me as we have great geospatial data sensors that we carry with us every single day with our mobile phones and help us better understand the world. Well, Michael, this is, uh, it's interesting as we're, as we're chatting with Andy here because these are the same types of conversations we've had. You could, you could swap out uh, location and geospatial and plug in food and agriculture uh, and, and look at you know, how the, the ecosystem within St. Louis has grown really ar around uh, major players. In, in, the previous, in the case of agriculture, it was Monsanto, not, now Bayer. Uh, and then early stage companies, and then the infrastructure that goes around it, whether it's BioSTL or the Danforth Center for Plant Science. Uh, Andy, as you're looking at these parallels, and I know that you talked about the roadmap before, but are there things from the, the BioSTL and the, the bio roadmap that, that you're also following here? We've we've drafted that that roadmap. And again, theirs was more of a I guess a you know the early stages of plant life sciences was a a growth strategy. A lot of these resources weren't here, so we're able to actually just bonus off of a lot of the investments that were already made here in the in the ecosystem. But I think the things that you're going to see, especially over the next couple of years, um, or even even sooner, is bolstering up our research capacity. You mentioned the Danforth Center, and they are a world-class institution that's really focusing in on, on high-end research, bringing researchers here, which then in turn allows for startups or other things that help percolate the, the ecosystem here. That's something that we will see more money being piped into and helping develop research capacity here that not only advances the industry, will help you know recruit and build you know world-class researchers here, which would be great, but also the, the reverberations of what that actually means. Companies will want to engage and plug in, help solve problems. And then I think the next part of that will be how then do you commercialize or build up that almost like that biogenerator arm for geospatial to allow for those, hey, I've got an interesting concept or idea. I want to now commercialize that and then have those resources there to really build up more startups here, not just services-based startups, which we have a lot of those here that support the geospatial ecosystem where it's people and, and small businesses that help support that. But now we're starting to see high-end tech companies that are growing and spinning out of these, you know, these hard problems or hard challenges or research projects and that are pushing the industry forward, and then that's when you're, again, that's, you know, I think that's where the investment and where some, some work's going to be done in the next, you know, six to 24 months is around growing that capacity here as well. Well, Geospatial, just getting started in St. Louis, will continue to track it for you and bring you the latest. And thank you to Andy Deering, the lead of GeoFutures, for joining us. Thank you for having me. Stay tuned. We've got more Nothing Impossible right after this on KMOX. Now back to Nothing Impossible on the voice of St. Louis, KMOX. Well, this next uh, conversation might make you a little hungry. We welcome in the owner and founder of Creamalicious Ice Cream, Liz Rogers. Thank you so much for joining us on KMOX. Thank you for having me. I certainly appreciate it. And so this, <laughs> I'm looking at the images and I'm, so hungry already. It looks delicious. Tell us about Creamalicious and these two-in-one desserts that you have. Yes, you can have the best of both worlds with Creamalicious. You do not have to choose. You can have it all. Four generations of family-owned recipes um, from my grandmother and great-grandmother and my mom and my aunts and just baked fresh and intertwined in a amazing, super premium pint of French ice cream. I am just freaking out looking at this right as rain red velvet cheesecake um but i'll let you kind of walk us through what the flavors are and 
maybe what your favorite is? Um, the slap your mama banana pudding is our most popular flavor. Um, it's really, the cream delicious is extremely creamy. It's very, um, it's a super premium pint. So we do use real banana pudding puree in the pint with the cookies. So we don't use any artificial flavoring, no high fructose corn syrup. And it's really a culinary inspired ice cream. Um, I am an executive chef and restaurateur by trade. So I get to really, you know, bring my culinary skills to the pint. And, you know, the whole thing was to really get the ice cream pint to taste exactly like a piece of peach cobbler or a piece of sweet potato pie, exactly what the dessert is. So it's really more than just a dessert. It's an experience for the, for the consumer. Can you take us, you, you gave us a little bit of a hint there of how you came to this, but uh, you know, what's your background? How did you come up with the idea for this? And then really, how did you scale it? Yeah. So I, I own restaurants and um, we were always really selling a lot of desserts in our restaurants and, you know, it could be any dessert, you know, for me, I, I try to do a little bit more innovation desserts that you can't really find in other restaurants and really wanted to hone in on my Southern roots from my family. Um, so for me, it was just a task of really trying to get the dessert to taste like ice cream cold. So, um, ice cream is the world's number one dessert. So, you know, it's like if I can do something that everybody loves in a, in a, in a pastry kind of way, that would be really cool. So scaling it, you know, just really became, um, making it inside the restaurant, getting feedback from the customers, um, selling it inside the restaurant, and then going to food scientists to create the formulas and recipes, uh, then finding a manufacturer that can execute the formula and scale it from there. And speaking of the scale and then getting it onto onto grocery store shelves, you're from Cincinnati. Your your business is based in Cincinnati, but you're in St. Louis this week and you're visiting local Schnooks stores. Why is that? Because Schnooks was really, you know, I feel like they were the champion for the underdog, you know, um, I'm the underdog, you know, cheers, you know, so it's, it's one of these things where, you know, you walk in the store, you, you see all these giants on the shelves, these amazing ice cream brands that I've looked up to since I was young, you know, uh, like Ben and Jerry's and Haagen-Dazs and Breyers. And you, you're just like, wow, you know, what would it be like to be on that shelf, you know, and, and knowing that, my brands have a very amazing story. Um, we're like Disney. We're the storytellers. You know, we bring the consumer into what's familiar. And and if they can relate, you know, I'm one of the only chefs, if not the only one out here, that's the face of the brand. And, and I'm just a common person that had a dream. And it's it becomes tangible and it becomes relatable to the consumer. So Schnooks, you know, I really felt like they really resonated with my brand stories and what my brand actually represented. Their brand was extremely cohesive with what I wanted my brand delivery to be and my business model to be. So it was really a great partnership. So they really took an a chance on me and gave me an opportunity, uh, but not just that, um, just really helped me, you know, navigate through the retail system because it was very new. Yeah. What is it like when you're trying to get that first shelf space? Are you just knocking on doors, cold calling grocers and retailers? And uh, and what was it about Schnucks that made them go? Yes, we'll be we'll be the ones who give you the big boost, the first big break. That's exactly what I did. You know, when opportunities don't come to you, you know, as an entrepreneur, you really need to create opportunities for yourself. I mean, all all they can tell you is no. 
All they can say is no, it's not going to kill you. You just go to the next one, you know, and every once in a while, you know, you will find someone that believe in you. They believe in your brand and that they're going to take take a shot, you know, take a chance on you. But retailers need to also understand that that's a really big investment um, from from my you know standpoint of, of the entrepreneur. You know, we're investing time and we're investing money and we're taking a chance as well, you know, and it's, it's a two-way street from the partnership. And what I really loved about Scott over at Schnooks, he always answered all of my emails. He was so attentive and he treated me like I was a really big brand and he, he gave me that respect and that confidence. So I was extremely appreciative of that. And I really appreciated uh, the fact that they really are extremely serious about their diversity and their minority uh, business that they're trying to build with the diversity supplier inside the stores. And I think that's just going to make it um, even better as far as inclusion. We're talking with Liz Rogers, who's the owner and founder of Creamalicious Ice Cream, which looks amazing and is based in Cincinnati, but got its first big break at Schnucks here in the St. Louis area. And Liz is in St. Louis, uh, stopping by local Schnucks. And we, we hear all the time from startups about how it's not just about the money, the investment, the grants, the first big customer, but it can also be about the mentorship, the advice, the direction that they sometimes get from investors and accelerator programs. And it sounds like Schnucks hasn't just been like, yeah, we'll buy your ice cream and put it on the shelves. But they've been this kind of in this mentorship role almost for you. They have, um, you know, with regards to being an entrepreneur, you know, it's, you're absolutely right. It's really the money. Um, yes, we do need money to sustain the business, but it's, it's not, it's not going to sustain the business, a correction. Money's not going to sustain the business. It'll get you started, but how long you last is something totally different. You really have to build a really good team. You need a team of advisors an expert in the field. I have ice cream experts on my team, uh, with 30 to 40 years of consumer packaging experience. I have um, people on my team that have sat on some of the biggest brands boards. I have so much uh, infrastructure that I'm not the smartest person in the room by far. A great deal of brilliant people around me and you have to be open to learn. And with especially choosing a retailer, you know, because no one wants to fail, you know, um, but if you do, that's okay. You know, you can't be afraid to fail. You can't be afraid to take a a chance and take a risk. If, If you're afraid to take a risk or a chance. You're really not an entrepreneur. Entrepreneurs at their core, we don't care. We're going to go for our dream every single time. And with Schnucks, it was just a little different because they really agreed to be in a partnership role and part of my team uh, as it relates to that infrastructure that I needed to navigate through the uh, through the ice cream world and just just really building a good partnership um, so that when we do have other brands and I do have other flavors and other product lines, you know, they are my partner and they know how I work and they can help me at that point. You know, Schnucks and innovation really have a, a long history. Have you run into, they're the first grocer to wide scale robots for inventory management. Have you run into the robots in the aisles? I have not run into the robots yet, but I think that is so dope that I wish I had seen a robot when I was there. So that would have been really, really cool. I know who you did see, though. And I'm wondering if Ozzy Smith did a backflip after he uh, tried your ice cream. He was very pleased with my ice cream. And I was so I felt so honored that he came to the store to meet me. Um, That was just super super cool. Um, It it just really it's just the support and, and it's just 
it was just really overwhelming. I kind of teared up a little bit. So I thought that was really cool, um, you know, with the family coming and everything. And, you know, Jill's been great. You know, Jill, like I she just had me all over the place today. I felt like a star today. So that was awesome. That sounds amazing. Well, Liz Rogers of Creamalicious Ice Cream joining us on Nothing Impossible on KMOX. One last question. What's been your impression of St. Louis, especially from that business owner perspective? What, what, what did you think about St. Louis before you had the interaction? And now that you've had this impression, what do you think? You know, I always thought St. Louis was this really, really big town. And, and it really is. And there, there's just a lot of moving parts here, a lot of different places here, just the culture, just a lot of a lot of diversity, um, a lot of entrepreneurs just waiting uh, just to really get out here and make their make their footprint here in St. Louis. And I, I really do feel like there is a lot of promise. And I'm really hoping that entrepreneurs really get out here and just go for their dreams and just really live life deliciously. You know, that's all you can do. It's just live deliciously, you know, because there is a dream in every scoop. I, I say that it's right there on my packaging. Um, you just have to chase your dream until it comes true, you know, and the dream is, you know, sometimes the, the dream is bigger than us. You know, our vision, it's it's bigger than us, you know. So when you're out here doing things, you know, it, it has to be for something bigger than yourself. And I'm really hoping to be able to help other entrepreneurs as I got help from Schnooks and just the support. And I'm really wanting to support other entrepreneurs as well on their journey. Yeah. Paying it forward. We're talking with Liz Rogers of Creamalicious Ice Cream, one of the only African-American owned national ice cream brands that's in mass production. And speaking of paying it forward, you've talked with some Harris Stowe students about entrepreneurialism. I did. And they have some amazing ideas. I I just think their ideas are just brilliant. And, you know, I, I spoke with them about just understanding that you do have brilliant ideas and you have to believe in yourself and you have to be your biggest cheerleader. And sometimes, you know, when that confidence, you can't expect to get that confidence and support from other people. It has to really, really start with you and you got to go for your dreams. You know, what, what do you have to lose? You know, you don't want to, you know, live with regret, like what you could have done for the rest of your life. And, you know, we're not getting any any younger. So, you know, you have to be able to understand that these kids, they're the future. You know, they're the visionaries. And and through their visions, you know, we will be able to build and be more powerful than than we ever could ever be. Well, you can find Creamalicious Ice Cream in the freezer section at your local Schnooks, a startup that's nourishing people's souls. Thank you so much, Liz Rogers, for joining us. Thank you. Have a great day. I I really, you know, Schnooks has been a good partner in the region. They they seem to always have this ability to not only engage with the startup community, especially around food, but provide mentorship, which I think was great. Yeah, we talk about locally based companies and what are some of the intangibles that come along with having a a business that calls St. Louis its home. And this is one of them, attracting other businesses here, making these connections, providing even some mentorship uh, to to fledgling companies that are growing up uh, and being introduced to St. Louis. That's part of what you get from having a hometown company. Yeah. And it's, it really is that wraparound service that so many startups and early stage companies need. It's one thing to know what your product does and maybe how to take it to market. But once you go to market, a whole nother can of worms opens up. And so that mentorship is really critical. And this is an example of, we interview so many startups and entrepreneurs and founders on the program. And this is one where you can just go to Schnucks and go to the freezer <laughs> case and buy some cream, ice cream. You're going to love it. 
and get a little taste of the startup community. One scoop at a time, right? One scoop at a time. (laughs) (laughs) Well, thank you for joining us for this edition of Nothing Impossible. We'll be back next week. Make sure you check out the podcast on the Odyssey app. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. (sighs) Spring is a time of renewal, so why not refresh your home with a little help from Blinds.com? We make getting custom window treatments a minor project with major impact. Choose from premium blinds, shades, and shutters. We even have options for your patio, too. Blinds.com invented a better way to shop for custom window treatments. There's no pushy salespeople in your home or inflated showroom prices. Our design experts can help you find the perfect window treatments on your schedule. We'll even send free samples directly to you. Plus, we can handle the measuring and installation for you. Unlimited window treatments installed for just one low cost. And with Blinds.com, you'll always get transparent pricing. No hidden fees. Our free shipping and 100% satisfaction guarantee can put the spring back into your step. And into your home, too. Shop Blinds.com right now and save up to 45%. Up to 45% off for a limited time at Blinds.com. Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply.